The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Daikon. Use less energy to heat your home this winter. D-A-I-K-I-N dot I-E. Your energy, your choice. On News Talk. Hello and you're very welcome along to the latest episode of the Home Show podcast with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up this week with a new campaign starting to not buy a dog for Christmas, I'll be chatting to dog behaviour expert Nancy Creedon. Gardening granddad Gerald Stafford, affectionately known as the Veg King, will be joining me to talk about stardom and Gucci. We'll have tips on buying a rug for your home. And if you or a family member are thinking about downsizing your home, well, Denise O'Connor will be with us this week with lots of advice. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. You can find me over on Instagram or Twitter at Sinead Ryan 100. Now, uh, later on the show, I am looking forward to an item uh, with Denise O'Connor from Optimised Design about the whole thing of downsizing uh, for older people. Now, When it comes to this topic, we've covered it before, but it's usually from a financial or tax perspective. But Denise is coming at it from a very personal perspective uh, this week. And in fact, as part of the housing crisis and all the thing, I think one cohort of people get lost in this whole discussion, which seems to be about first time buyers and new apartments and builders and all of that. And as older people who would like to move from a larger house to a smaller property, but they can't find one. There's none in their area. They don't want to move to a new area because they may be at a stage in their life when they've all their things around them and they know where everything is. Um, So Denise will be in later on. I'm really looking forward to hearing her talk about it because her parents uh, did just this in their 80s. So do stay tuned for that later on. And in the meantime, you are very welcome along to The Home Show. Now, my first guest joins me. She's been on the show before and uh, people always enjoy her contribution. And it is really about a new campaign that's starting uh, to try and tell people to not buy something for Christmas. And that's a new dog. Nancy Creedon, a dog behaviour expert. You are very welcome along to the home show. Let's start with the campaign Pause for Thought. Pause, P-A-W-S, lol. Um, it's important this time of year for a very good reason. It is. And I mean, every single year we're always talking about Christmas and dogs and puppies and all that kind of stuff. And it's scary for us to think about the aftermath of what happens come spring every single year with puppies that were bought for Christmas and puppies and dogs that were unwanted gifts that then go back into the population of countless dogs that are looking for homes. And this year feels like it's going to be even worse than ever because the rescue centres are just absolutely inundated. So while every single year we say it's more important than ever to pause and stop and think before you consider adding a dog to your family, please, 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 anyone at home listening this year that's thinking about getting a dog or has friends and family thinking about getting a dog, have a look. Um, Dogs Trust are running a Pause for Thought campaign and have a look, stop and think. My solution, and I just think it's the genius solution, is if there's someone in your life that very much is ready for a dog, prepared for a dog, knows what's in, involved in committing to a dog, then this Christmas Santa can bring them a doggy teddy. And come spring, <laughs> they can then choose to turn that teddy into a real-life dog and head off to their rescue centres and find one of the many, many puppies and pedigree dogs that are going to be sitting there in spring ready for home. So um, that's a, very, that's a very good idea. And actually, Nancy, the thing about it is, like, even if you are ready for a dog and your family's ready to have a dog in the house and you've thought it all through, Christmas is not the best time of year to be introducing them. 
Christmas is chaotic. Christmas is chaotic for human beings in the first place. And then adding a dog into it, bringing them into a home with fairy lights and Christmas trees and activities and people in and out. And alcohol, a lot of alcohol gets drunk around Christmas and stuff as well. It makes things scary for dogs. It makes Mm. things unpredictable. And it's not really the ideal time to add a dog into a family home. So what would you recommend then for families who are considering this, maybe Christmas or another time, what would you recommend that they bone up on, <laughs> no pun intended, before <laughs> they they commit to having a dog? If they've never had a pet before or a dog before, what things should they look out for? I love this question because the answer is really straightforward and often overlooked. If you're really considering getting a dog and it's new to you and your kids have convinced you that they're going to walk the dog and clean up after it and so on and so forth, then you contact your local rescue centre and you say, hey, I can help. Can we foster a dog? Because by fostering a dog, you see whether the kids step up to the plate. You see whether, oops, we have allergies we didn't realise about. And you see whether or not a dog is right for your life. While you're also helping massively the rescue centres by taking a dog out of their circulation. And you're massively helping that dog become prepared for being a family pet. And in reality, what happens quite often is we have what we call failed fosters where you end up falling in love with the dog, it fits right in. No one could consider saying goodbye to this little fella. And there you go. You have your dog and you've already trialled it without the risk of buying a puppy and realising it went wrong. Yeah. If you foster first and it doesn't go well, well, you've still helped. You've, yeah. you've, you've come out of this as a winner. The dog's come out as a winner um, and you've learned your lesson without going off and purchasing. And of course, you can. Ex- it, it's easier to explain to your children then because you can say, look, we only have this dog for a holiday. Yes. You know, we're not, we, we're just minding it for the moment. And then if it doesn't work out, you have that kind of get out clause without saying, uh, yes, it's our dog. It's a new, And then you're, you, you end up having to, to surrender it back. Yes. Now, Nancy, you run a very successful doggy daycare business. How is that going? Is that something people should factor in before they get a dog? The fact that they're going to be going on holidays, they might have weddings to go to, they might be away for the weekend. And and look, I mean, that's a kind of both an expensive but also a time-consuming consideration. It is. It is. Like the, uh, having a dog 15, 20 years ago was about a dog fitting into your life. What's amazing nowadays is when people get dogs, they're like, how can we get this dog's life to be lived to the maximum? How can we fit into this dog's life and give them what they need? And the dog world is changing rapidly insofar as in the past, dogs were just provided their, their bare necessities. Nowadays, it's all about how can I help this dog? How can I enrich their lives? So things like doggy daycare, dog walkers, um, and for some dogs, kind of home boarding or pet sitting in, in, a hum- in a kind of home environment is really important. So it is definitely cost that you need to calculate for. The ideal for many people is, I don't know, you have your, your, your mother lives next door and she's going to dog share with you or you have <laughs> someone else that has a similar age dog with you know, good temperament that they get on well and you can kind of share the responsibility, that can help because it is very expensive to go down the route of Monday to Friday Mm -hmm. daycare and luxury pet hotels. And if that's what you want to spend your money on, happy days, but you do need to be prepared that, okay, if if I have to take a pay cut or if my days are cut or anything like that, can I still afford my dog? Mm. Uh, And if you give them a life that they grow accustomed to and suddenly then you're taking back their luxury pet hotels and things like that, um, it may lead to kind of problem behaviours and, and kind of issues going on with that dog then as well. So it is important to think, how will life look? How will it look in the spring, in the summer? Do we go camping every summer? Do we go off to Portugal for six weeks? How is this going to match now having a dog as part of the family? Mm. So it is it's all about, I say to people, walk through your year and can your dog 
be part of each and every element of the year or do you have a safe, secure, guaranteed backup for where your dog will go um, when your dog can't come with you as well? Because it's just thinking about the realities of what it's going to look like. Indeed. And listen, fantastic advice there. Uh, And again, the perennial warning, don't get a dog for Christmas. And if you do, it's for life. Uh, Nancy Creedon, dog behaviour expert and uh, all things to do with uh, pooches. Thank you so much for joining us again on The Home Show. And you can find Nancy on Instagram at nancy.creedon. And of course, you can check out that hashtag pause uh, for thought with the Dogs Trust. Uh, Thanks a million, Nancy. Thank you. And you're very welcome back to The Home Show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. Now, Gerald Stratford, affectionately known as the Veg King, is a gardening granddad aged in his 70s with over a quarter of a million fans on Twitter. He lives in a Cotswolds village with his partner Liz and shot to fame after his large vegetables went viral on social media, subsequently landing a book deal. And he joins me now. Gerald, you're very welcome to the show. Uh, Indeed, we have gardeners on from time to time and they're always popular with listeners but you've taken fame to a new level quite late in life. What has that been for you? Um, I can't explain it. I endeavour to keep going in the journey. It's just nice. It's nice to help people and talk to people about things they love doing. Where did your love for gardening and growing veg in particular start? Oh, many, many moons ago when I was four, coming up five I used to follow my father around because he was a very good gardener. And he gave me a small piece of land, only the size of a large dinner table. And I played around on that for a few days and got all the weeds up and done as I'd seen dad do. And he gave me then a packet of seed and the seed was radish. And he just told me, Gerald, you've seen me plant the radish. You just copy me. And that's what I've done. And every day, as soon as I got up, I would go down, see if anything had happened. And after about a week, uh, I see these little shoots coming up. And after about a month, there was a radish ready to pull. So I pulled one up, took it into mother. She put it under the tap, uh, told me to hold my hand out, palm of my hand, and she put a small amount of salt in the palm of my hand. And she said, now dip the radish in the salt and eat what you've grown. And I'd done that and I've been doing it ever since. (laughs) Well, that is a fabulous story. And actually, isn't that really the best way to learn about nature and about the natural process of growing? It's to start with something small by yourself. Do you think if more people did that, they would be more careful about what they ate and indeed maybe have less waste in terms of food Yes, it, it makes me cringe at times, the amount of waste. Um, you can't help waste, but even with waste, you can make stuff out of your waste to be reused within your gardening. Kind of being recycled back to the earth, really, isn't it? Yes. I mean, this time of the year, I will be preparing my trench for next year's runner beans. And I dig a trench. Sorry, I'm not... Uh, Uh, metric, 
So I'll just say about two feet. Uh-huh. And I fill it up with lots and lots of compost, which I've done over the last summer. You know, I've got a large bin of all sorts of green compost, and that will be emptied into the trench and filled up, and that will produce fantastic beans for the following summer. Indeed. And I'm looking here at your Instagram site as I am talking to you. And it's Stratford, Stratford Gerald, if anybody wants to have a look while I'm chatting uh, to the Veg King. And what I'm struck uh, with, uh, Gerald, and I think this is possibly the reason you went a bit viral uh, during COVID when you started posting these little videos, is that you have enormous specimens. <laughs> I mean, bigger than the average uh, onions, uh, kind of tomatoes, lettuces, all kinds of things. How? What are your tips for getting your vegetables to the size they are? Um, you have to be careful with your seed. Not everything will grow to large sizes. Mm-hmm. So try and get good quality large seed. And it is available. There is, you know, suppliers within the world. Uh, where you can buy seeds for big carrots, etc. And I love all my uh, vegetables. You know, I spend all day, every day with them. During the lockdown, of course, you know, everybody found themselves at home full time. There there was very few places to go. Um, And that was the time maybe that what you're doing took off. What was it like kind of posting things online, on Twitter and on Instagram? Did you think it would take off in the way it did? Not at all. Not at all. I I decided I would go on to Twitter because in another world I'd been a heavy fisherman, you know, fishing all over Europe. And mm-hmm. I was just doing gardening like you would look after your house. You look after your house, you look after your garden. And I thought, I've done enough fishing and me and my good lady decided you know, we both love gardening. Liz is very good with seeds. And whenever we grow something, we try and save our seeds. And you put it lo- online, all your pictures and little videos. In lockdown, I do think that the whole world was in a very worried state. We were very worried. You know, you you see on the television what was happening to the world with COVID and you know, I thought, is this it? Is this the end? Mm. You know, and so we just locked our way, ourselves away in our own little world. We started having food deliveries, you know, instead of going to the shops and mm-hmm. just kept ourselves away from the masses. And one way of talking with the masses is through social media. And I think a lot of other people felt like me. Now, you're also what some people might suggest as an unlikely fashion model. Tell us about your campaign for Gucci. Oh, I'll tell you a little bit at the beginning. When I left school, I was an an apprentice butcher. And a part of my apprenticeship was presenting yourself to the public on the shop counter. and. I was a young lad from the country moving into the centre of Oxford City, the university town. 
And every morning when before I went onto the the shop front, the boss would look at me and check that I'd got a clean shirt, um, nails, uh, a, a tie was done up properly, and a straw boater, you know. Mm. And that stayed with me because that was a period when you had the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, all the pop groups, girls in mini skirts, <laughs> and fashion all, all of a sudden hit me. And I've been like that ever since, you know, and just because I'm a, an old fisherman or a gardener, why shouldn't I be fashionable? <laughs> and you are, to the extent now that you're wearing your uh, Gucci shirts and sweatshirts and you've had brand campaigns as a result of it. Um, that, that's a kind of, a, not a juxtaposition that lots of people would put together, but you're enjoying it. Oh, yes, I, I love it. And when uh, the Gucci thing happened, uh, each night, Elizabeth and myself, after our main meal, would sit down and go through all our messages, etc. And one come through from a company called Heisnabiety. They were representing Gucci. And I showed Liz saying, look, somebody's having a laugh. They want me to do a film. <laughs> and she said, no, let's be polite and just return Anyway, uh, a Zoom meeting was arranged with them, followed by another Zoom meeting. Then there was a Zoom meeting from people all over the world, conducted from Berlin. And within weeks, I was rushed away to a private farm in Hertfordshire for two, two days filming for Gucci. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Did you have fun with it? Oh, I, at the beginning, I was very, very nervous. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm not a John Wayne or a Clint Eastwood. <laughs> and But after a while, I, they were so comforting. I had a gentleman who stayed with me. Whatever I wanted was there. I had a, It was very cold. I had my own changing room, uh, a water bottle when we were filming outside, uh, and my own dressing gown. They gave you a personal assistant, Gerald, <laughs> and yeah. you were able to work with it. Come and, here to me. Here's what I want to know. All Did of you... a sudden, yeah. I started to enjoy it. I felt very confident and warm with them. And the young models, there was a, a, a model from Japan, no, China, New Zealand, Canada, and the UK. And they were very young. I, I'm sort of 70 plus. <laughs> they were... Young, very young. But at the end of the filming, I felt I was sort of a father figure with them. Yeah. And come here to me, here's what I want to know. Do they let you keep the Gucci clothes? No. No, <laughs> no, no I'm afraid, you know, Gucci fashion is what it is. That's yeah. why, you know, it's the number one brand because of their... Is it business acumen? Yeah, yeah. And they don't, they don't, they're not successful by giving stuff away, isn't that right? <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't, you know, I can, I can live with that. Well, listen, you've been so successful, you can go out and buy the Gucci clothes now, I'd say. Your book is called Big Veg. 
uh, and people can have a look for that. And as I said, you're up on Twitter at Gerald Stratford 3 and Stratford Gerald on Instagram. Gerald, it's been an absolute joy uh, to talk to you. And listen, as the winter comes in now, best to look with the garden and all that it produces for you. And we look forward to the spring. Uh, it's been lovely having you on The Home Show. Thank you very much. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. Now, we got an email in from a listener in the Midwest called Mary recently, and she said, have you any info from your guests regarding sources of large rugs and hall or stairs runners? Not necessarily wool, uh, but not necessarily new either. Rugs.ie she finds and Guinea's uh, she has she has sourced there and hasn't found anything. And uh, she says it's a little bit limited. Well, uh, Mary, I hope you're listening this morning. We may indeed have the answer for you because my Next guest is co-owner, along with her brother, of Nuri-based rug company Cocoon. Setting up the business almost 20 years ago, the company, which started as an eBay online shop, now has customers in 60 different countries around the world. So joining me now is Claire Vallely, co-owner and managing director of Cocoon Rugs. Claire, you're very welcome to The Home Show. Thanks very much, Sinead. I'm delighted to be on with you. Now, you became successful as a company very, very quickly, but but you started out on eBay. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah that's go- going back quite a while now. Yeah, we started out in 2006. Um, really, it was a bit of a family affair. Our dad had been selling rugs in the local markets. So he, he used to do Ferry House in Balbriggan, Clogher, and, and then some of the markets in Northern Ireland as well. And um, myself and my brother Paul had went to a course in London about selling on eBay. And... We really joined the two of them together. I think I was possibly more keen than Paul on the rug side of it. I had always a great love for home interiors and it was just a natural progression really for us to, to take the product that we, we'd been used to selling with our dad in the markets all those years ago and take them online. So it was a very simple start. It was just the two of us for the first year, first 18 months and we were buying rugs locally and selling them online and you know, really after that, the, the demand we realised was there for a, an independent rug shop, a rug provider. And we grew it very naturally from that point and started to source the rugs directly from manufacturers ourselves. And um, over the years, we hired designers and built out our own product team and started to, to visit our manufacturers and suppliers in Turkey and India. And it's it's been a really lovely organic growth over the last 15 years. Now, I'm always interested in family dynamics when it comes to uh, brothers and sisters and fathers and children working together. How is it with you working with your brother? Do you, do you divvy up the workload or, or do you just pile in and do everything <laughs> together? Yeah, no, Sinead, I, I certainly won't paint an overly rosy picture like any siblings. Um, there's plenty of points of disagreement and um, I do often laugh, you know, some of the, the members of our team who've been with us for years would say they're never worried when we're fighting, they're worried when we're not talking. <laughs> they are because when we're when we're fighting, things are good, we're working well, so we are. But no, thankfully, we're both, both very different personalities, very different skill sets. And, you know, Paul's real love is the business side of things, the finance side, the operation side, you know, the customer service, getting the rugs in, getting the rugs out on time. And my real love is the product, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. finding the right product for, for our customers, for our markets, really. And 
dealing with the factories and suppliers and, and the marketing and sales side of things. So we tend to leave each other well enough alone. We, at this point, 16 years in, we, we respect each other's <laughs> capabilities <laughs> and strengths. Yeah, and, and more often than not, it's an agree to disagree <laughs> sentiment. Yeah. But no, we, we get on very well. Very good. Now, I know you're based in Newry um, and you sell all over the world or you export all over the world. Some people might be nervous, Claire, about buying something as important as a rug online. So, so what would you say to that? No, and that, like we really understand that sort of nervousness around ordering products online, especially a textile. Like you know, a lot of people love to see them and feel them and match them, but the reality is just like Mary, there there can be hard to find. You know, especially now people are getting a lot more confident that um, doing their own style and their own sort of themes, and they're really looking for something very particular and especially bigger sizes. Quite often, shops just don't stock them, so. You know, the only resort really is online, but there's so much out there to really tell you whether the company you're buying from is reputable or not, you know, what the return process is going to be like. Now, you do have some tips uh, for people choosing uh, a rug, uh, certainly in the autumn. And and I'm curious that you're you're kind of, you see a rug like a cushion or or a throw, something that could be seasonal, that you could roll up and, and maybe put away for the summer months and then uh, pull back out in the colder uh, times of the year. Now, when it comes to colour, uh, you want a rosy or you advocate a cosy kind of hue to rugs. Absolutely. We've had good few years now of a lot of grey, silver, a lot of very neutral bases and you know, felt all anybody really wanted for, for the last three, four years. But people are starting to come back to colour a bit. And it's really, for us, it's great. You know, for our product teams, it's an exciting time to be working with colour again. And I think probably from COVID and then really the cost of living crisis, people are looking to inject a bit of warmth and colour into their homes. And autumn's a perfect time to do that. You have the lovely terracotta and rust and mixing that up with the beige and the neutrals and the sage greens just allow you to get that bit of colour, a little bit of warmth into a room without maybe overdoing it. But again, yeah. that, that is actually another theme that we're seeing building. It's the, the dopamine trend, as they're calling it. And <laughs> we're actually working with a, an artist from Australia, Jacqueline Rooney, a fantastic artist, and she paints the most beautiful, colourful wildflower um, scenes and seascapes and they are really, really colourful and we were quite nervous sort of going into it, we were like oh I wonder what people, how will they feel about putting this on a rug you know it's one thing putting that beautiful artwork on the wall but mm-hmm. on a rug is something different and that's what we've done, we've taken our artwork and converted it into in theory art you can walk on art you can but walk people, on well, yeah, that's people brilliant. are loving it, mm. people are really loving it and I think they're getting braver you know a lot of people are still keeping maybe very neutral backdrops, white walls, beige sofas, you know, the big mm. key pieces in the room quite neutral, but they're being brave. Very seasonal as well. Like people are beginning to get into the pattern now of changing it up. You know, we're seeing that autumn decor, the door wreaths and the garlands and the fireplace. Right. And that's now changing on a seasonal basis. And people are bringing the other items in, the cushions, the throws, the rugs in line with that. So they're wanting the whole thing to match, which is really lovely. Now, one of the other uh, 
things that you suggest, and and I'd never thought of this before. Actually, I, we do we do layering in all other aspects like our clothing and you know maybe throws and cushions. But you suggest layering rugs on rugs. Talk to me about that. Exactly, that is has been a massive trend now coming from the states. You know that they've been doing that for years, and I think we're really only getting to grips with that here. And again, that's coming down to the texture. I think people are really keen to introduce a little bit more warmth and texture into the home. But sometimes that texture can be quite difficult on the floor. So a lot of people are loving the jute, the real hessian and seagrass vibes, you know, and they're bringing it in in soft furnishings as well. You're beginning to see it coming through in in rugs and in cushions too. But they still want that softer feel to walk on. So what people are really doing is bringing in that jute and then actually layering on top of it, maybe the more seasonal piece. So they're looking for like maybe a more inexpensive option, something that can be placed on top of the jute background, but bringing the warmth and the pattern and the colour in. But then maybe stripping it back to just the jute rug in the summer and bringing in a different one, maybe for Christmas, you know, a very red or a very sort of <laughs> seasonally festive yeah. one. But then go back to the more neutral sort of scheme in the spring. So... I think it's people having a bit of fun, Sinead. I think it's people really looking at us and going, you know, I, like rugs traditionally have always been an expensive mm. homeware, really. Mm. They've been an investment piece that's on the floor for years. Traditionally, people have been looking for wool and they've been maybe paying three or four hundred euro. And we're really seeing a move away from that. And people are beginning to look at it more as, you know, something that's a bit more fashionable. An you know, accessory, maybe. maybe. To the rest yeah, of your to the rest exactly. of your room. Okay, yeah, how so interesting. I think okay, well, listen. There's some uh, great great tips there, and obviously lots of uh, development still going on in the rug world. Uh, let listeners know where people can find out more about you, Claire. Absolutely, yes. Well, we do have two retail stores. We've one on the Boucher Road in Belfast, and um, unfortunately, our Newry, which a lot, which a lot of our um, Southern customers would come to visit us in our Newry showroom in the Caribbean, but it got flooded there a couple of oh, weeks ago. No. So, yeah, like a lot of Newry businesses, we were badly affected by the floods and we've had to close it while we sort mm-hmm. of work to repair it. But very exciting. We're literally just working today to get a shop opened in the Keys shopping centre, um, which a lot of people will be familiar with. It's it the one with Sainsbury's in it. Um, and we're opening a store in there. We're hoping to get it open maybe the end of... Maybe this weekend, this Saturday, Sunday. But everything again is online. So cocoonrugs.com. Okay, and that's K-U-K-O-O-N, uh, just in case anybody is looking it up. Uh, Claire Vallely, Managing Director of Cocoon Rugs. Thanks a million for joining us on The Home Show. And you're very welcome back uh, to The Home Show podcast here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. Now, whether it's downsizing or right-sizing, whatever your terminology, it's something that uh, lots of people like to do maybe in later life or at least consider doing free up space in a larger home and move to one that's cheaper and easier to maintain. So we're going to be talking about that this week and who better to ask than Denise O'Connor from Optimised Design. Denise, you're very welcome to The Home Show podcast. Thanks, Sinead. Lovely to be Now, you have a personal perspective on this particular item. Yeah, so my parents have recently downsized, or should we say right-sized? I I like that terminology. I think it is, really. So they've just been through it. Um, You know, it was something they were talking about probably for the last three or four years, but just could never settle because it's such a huge decision. I mean, it was a home where we all grew up, Um, they were very settled there. 
but they are in their 80s. So, you know, at that stage of their life, um, we were all very concerned about what that would mean because it's very traumatic. I mean, moving mm. house, no matter what age you are, is a really traumatic mm. experience. So we were just a bit concerned about that. But about a year ago, then they decided to bite the bullet and go for it. Right. And I suppose when you're moving from a bigger house, it is it has sentimental value yeah. and it has um, financial value. And we've yeah. spoken about this issue before on the home show, but only really from that financial tax perspective. Yeah. yeah. But you're going to talk to us about the process and about the design element yes. of it, because, yeah. you know, people who live in larger houses have lots of stuff. Of stuff. Yes. And people with children have lots of stuff. Yeah, you know, attics of, of attics I don't know, build. I can only think of my own mother's house. Oh, I, you I know. know, picture albums yeah. and sentimental old yeah. toys, yeah. books, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Incredible. And that can be as difficult to deal with, I suppose, as actually physically moving house. Yeah, I think for my mum, that was probably the hardest bit was getting rid of stuff. And mum would be very good, you know, a little mm. bit like me. <laughs> me <around. laughs> doesn't like so, the clutter. No, doesn't like clutter, doesn't yeah. tend to hang on to things. But then there were things like, you know, um, my sister's the youngest, all of her school books and copy books and essays she'd written. She's left school now, has she? Is, she's now a school teacher herself. <laughs> so, yes. And the, the funny thing is, you know, you keep all these things or like old birthday cards or christening cards or boxes yeah. full of this stuff. And even furniture pieces, yes. that dressers yeah. and tables and that would suit a larger house yeah. but would be very difficult in an apartment or, or a smaller home. Yeah. And actually on the furniture side of things, it's really interesting. You know, they had lots and lots of what people call brown furniture. Yeah. The market for that is just not there. Like we tried so many avenues and in the end, mum ended up donating everything. Yeah. Yeah. And and we've we've spoken to um, places like gaff interiors and upcycling places that sometimes will take that stuff in if it's it's pretty and delicate and all that. But then only, you know, sometimes you'll see it appearing in salvage yards people will take it and then they'll go and paint it because they want something yes. that looks beautiful but they don't like that brown mahogany exactly. or pine or whatever it is. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, don't let don't let mum and dad see that maybe happening. No. Okay, so we have we have a practical aspect to this and an emotional aspect to this yeah. or a sentimental aspect yeah. to this. Yeah. So you're coming from the perspective and I think it's probably important to say this from the outset. Mm-hmm. This is never something that people should be pushed into or coerced oh into. They no, come to it no. by themselves yes. for themselves. Yes. Isn't that, isn't that I, it? I think, that, so. that's you really know, in the end, I think that's what, you know, we'd all given our opinion, what we thought, our concerns. But in the end, it was very much, mum, dad, you have to make this decision. Whatever your decision is, we, we will support you in that. And yeah. that's, that's a- and that's the start. Decided. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So practically then, uh, does it start then with identifying, you know, what can stay and what can go? Yeah, I think it's very good to have someone to help you do that um, because what mum found, which was so interesting, she was keeping all these things for us and none <laughs> yeah. of us wanted them. Like absolutely yeah. nothing. I don't think we took any of the bits and pieces wow. that she'd yeah. been keeping, you know. so And she'd very organised, She'd you know, it's just she spent a lot of time minding them, protecting them. And yeah. it was very... And how did she feel it. about that? Oh, she didn't really mind. She was quite ruthless, really. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, a little That's bit annoyed good. probably in the beginning, but uh, mm. yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, because you do, you you buy it, you know, maybe it costs 
a lot of money when you buy it in the yeah. 70s or yeah. the 80s yeah. and you think, gosh, I'll, I'll keep that for Denise or, yeah. you know, it'll be lovely yeah. now to go yeah. to her home when she's married and all that. Yes, yeah. And then, no, you're all yeah, right, Mum. <laughs> not even that, Sinead. It was more the bits that she was keeping aside, say, like uh, personal things that would have belonged to us that she was setting aside for us. Oh, we were right. Like, we don't want any of this. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of that. Um, and then, yeah, I think it was her biggest challenge I think was the furniture and trying to get rid of the furniture mm. so obviously mm. the house was bigger but people don't live in massive houses now mm. they don't want these huge pieces of furniture No and if you do live in an absolutely massive house you probably can afford to buy the big old antiques and you want the Sheraton you know yes. the Chippendale yeah. you're not, or you your know. own piece or whatever yeah, that might yeah. be so, okay. yeah. Yeah. so it's it's deciding that making lists I presume you're yes. great at the old lists Denise Yeah so. and I think tackle it bit by bit I think she found it really really overwhelming so what we did was we just one room at a time, even yeah. one drawer at a time, just mm. start small. But I think the critical thing is give yourself loads of time. Mm. This isn't, definitely isn't something you want to put some sort of unrealistic time pressure on yourself. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of the people who you'll need to engage with to go through the process will start putting time pressure on mm. you. Mm. And that can be really, really challenging. Like estate agents exactly. and, and solicitors and all exactly. those type of people. So, so having someone to help you with that and navigate that is really, really important. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then um, you you have to be realistic then about the property you're moving into yes. because yes. the whole yes. point of this is to live a smaller in a smaller yes. space, whether yes. it's an apartment that's yes. serviced and everything's done yes. for you and the gardens are looked after or whether it's it's another house. Exactly. And this, I think, was something that, you know, there was a lot of debate and disagreements about the size of property they should move into. A lot of confusion from mum and dad about what they should be doing. So the immediate idea was, oh, they move into an apartment. But because there's two of them and they'd been used to a lot of their own space, the thoughts of the two of them being in something that was confined yeah. <laughs> probably not going circling to be very around practical. each other in exactly. one large room yeah yeah, yeah. so you okay. know i think it's we would help a lot of people who are downsizing through through my business and mostly if they're moving into an apartment it's either they're on their own or they have another property elsewhere like maybe mm. a house or an apartment in spain so they're not spending all their time there mm. i think to go from a very large space into a very small space you need to be really at home with being able to do that. And I'd possibly suggest maybe even renting for a little bit before jumping in. That's such a good idea because yeah, it allows you that baby step exactly. to see how it would be yeah. and what it would feel like. And yeah. lots of developments now have houses for rent Absolutely. that you can take, you yeah. know, well, yeah. not lots of houses, but, you know, that maybe you could find a rental unit and just say, let's yeah. try it out for a few months and see exactly. how we get on with exactly. this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then in terms of that realism, then it also comes down to the size of the furniture because yeah. you might have this great great big L-shaped sofa or a large yeah. credenza or something and or drinks cabinet. Yeah. And you're thinking yeah. it'll fit, but yeah. nothing else nothing will. Nothing else will, no. And I think, yeah, that be really practical, you know. So obviously with a lot of people who've been in houses for long periods of time, that piece of furniture will have served them very well. So it's not like it's, you know, been a waste of money. They will have had many years where they enjoyed it. Mm. So do look to see, is there anyone who would like it? You know, could you donate it? Could you sell it? Mm. But, and isn't it a good time? I know the Americans are very fond of the garage sale, but isn't yeah. it a good time to have people around to your house, friends and neighbours who just say, listen, yeah. it, the stuff is here. Yeah. Make a donation. Yeah. You know, even if yeah. you don't need yeah. the money, make a donation to a charity, yeah. take whatever you want. And 
you'd like to see it going to a home that wants it. That you is, know exactly. And, and yeah. then there's other charities that can, that can always have it. Okay. Right. Um, and then it's about, I suppose, separating out the actual heirlooms, the things that, that maybe your kids want. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, versus you know these these pieces that you know they may have loved once, but now it's time to be loved That's uh, right. somewhere else. Uh, and positivity very important throughout all this, Denise. I think so. And I think try and surround yourself with people that are helpful, that are going to be on board. You know, there you will meet resistance one way or the other, whether it's through mm. a neighbour or whatever. Mm. But just be be strong in your decision. You've made the decision. You obviously have very good concrete reasons why you're doing it. And just try and enjoy the process like it is a new chapter, which is yeah. so exciting. Mm. And that's a new project to focus on. Just on the getting rid of things, I would say one thing I saw my mum doing, I think she became so ruthless with the clearing out. She started to try and give away everything. But do bear in mind, you need some stuff yeah, when you move in. So you don't have to move into your new house with nothing. No. Unless, of course, you, you want it completely fresh. And you don't want to regret in yeah. half a year's time yeah. thinking, yeah. I wish I'd kept that little table or yeah. I wish I'd yeah. kept that dressing table or whatever it is. Exactly. Okay, all right. Yeah. So yeah. make your list, make it twice, make it three times yeah. and then bring in Denise O'Connor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Denise, uh, thank you so much. Optimise, and people can find you then on uh, Instagram. Optimise, optimise design, optimise right. home, yeah. and you might put some tips up on. I will, I will, right, absolutely. Great. Okay, yeah. fantastic. Thanks, and that's all we have time for on this latest episode of the Home Show podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and our range of eclectic guests. I think it's eclectic most weeks, to be honest with you. Uh, if you would like to get in touch, then do so during the week on the Home Show at Newstalk.com, and you'll find me over on Instagram uh, and the artist for formerly known as Twitter as Sinead Ryan 100. Uh, that is all we've time for this week. Uh, do listen back to anything you've missed or any episodes you've missed, uh, which uh, is up on the News Talk app or the News Talk uh, website, newstalk.com podcasts. Thanks to Aoife Breen producing this week. Stephen McLoon was on sound and we will see you all again on the next episode. The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. Saturday morning at 8. With Daikin on News Talk. News Talk.